0: Forever! Dog! Hey, Writer's Panel listeners, it's me, Ben Blacker. I wanted to quickly apologize for the audio on today's podcast. I recorded a couple of episodes while I was out in New York back in October, and as often happens with these out-of-studio episodes, the audio is not great, and I am loath to ask strangers to meet me in a... Uh, a place that's quieter than a coffee shop. Um, so there's a lot of background noise. Uh, we did the best we could to minimize that. I don't recommend listening with headphones on this one. Um, it may, it may hurt you. Um, I do want to thank my pal Tony Thaxton for helping me clean this up. Um, Tony did a great job with a very difficult audio track. Um, I did want to release the episode though, because the guest Alexander Kleeman, has some amazing, brilliant thoughts about writing in the process of writing. Um, Alex Kleeman is a terrific prose writer. Um, you may have picked up her book "You Too Can Have a Body Like Mine," which came out a couple years ago. I also recommend her book of short stories, which I think came out earlier this year, called "Intimations." It is one of the best books I read all year. Highly recommended. Um, So I was thrilled to talk to Alexandra, and she really had a lot of interesting and and thoughtful things to say about fiction writing and storytelling in general. So I do think it's a worthwhile listen. As I said, the audio is not great. Don't listen on headphones, um, but I think you'll find a lot to enjoy if you do give it a listen. Thanks so much for your continued support.
1: They write, they talk, and talk about what they write. Tune in to Tuesday, or whenever the time is right. It's the Writer's Panel with Ben
2: Blacker, and it's starting now. Oh yeah! Oh
1: yeah. yeah. Do you think of yourself as a horror writer? I don't think of myself as a horror writer, but I think that um, the work that shaped me most when I was growing up was horror. The tiny slivers of horror that I consumed almost against my will really stuck with me. <laughs> yeah,
2: to make yeah. a Big impression. What yes. Do you remember what that stuff was? Oh
1: you know, um, I remember going to a screening of The <laughs> Ring when I was in high school and hardly watching or listening any single part of it i covered my ears and still the like sound design that heard creep through and the sort of watery sounds like Um, they just stuck with me forever i would
2: say the watery sounds of horror pretty much sums up your all of your writing right (laughs) (laughs)
1: is that accurate
2: um that's really funny you know like you're you're not a horror person but it's It's in there i think like
1: um Murder mysteries. I read a ton of Agatha Christie murder mysteries. Yeah, there's something I've always liked about as soon as you have people trapped in a place, it's horror. (laughs) You know, no matter what those people want from you, whether they're normal or abnormal, um, uh, being confined in a story is horrific in a sort of existential sense. Yeah. And um, that's where I I sort of considered Beckett, Samuel Beckett, a horror writer too. Um, in, like, a a subtle, toned-down way um, and a, you know, lofty way, too. But um, whenever you're pushed up against, I think, the fragility of your existence, that's hard, too, um, for me. Yeah,
2: Yeah. I mean, it's interesting. I mean, obviously, I'm sure you talk about this all the time Mm -hmm. um, in interviews and things, but, like, the fragility of existence specifically... Our bodies. Yeah. Right? I mean, yeah. this is the thing you keep coming back to. Um, where does that come from? You know, it's not the fragility of mental existence all the time, because <laughs> some of these characters are very strong mentally, emotionally. Yeah. yeah.
1: Um, I mean, I've always been interested in the way the mind is kind of insulated from the world. You can, um, you can. Detach from the world if you want to live somewhat to some degree in the world that you've created. But your body um, is the place where you really interface with what's around you. And you can't actually be aware of everything that's entering or affecting your body. It's um it's where the narrowest portion of yourself meets the world and the world's ability to change you too. So like um I think I've always been interested in uh, how much my mind depends on my body to understand what's going on around it, and how um, also vulnerable that connection is. Uh, like one thing I always think about is um, when I was younger, when I was back in high school, I walked around all night with this boy, and I was like, "Oh, I, I'm really feeling some sort of feelings for him." I think <laughs> I had this fluttering feeling in my chest. Um, the next day. Uh, I found that I had bronchitis, right? So <laughs> your body tries to tell you things, but the mind doesn't know how to interpret that language. So, and that, that like, disjunct is comedic and horrifying, I think.
2: Which, um, yeah, which yeah. it seems like that's, that's the tension in your life, right?
1: Yeah.
2: Uh, is it early on, were you covering the same material, the same questions, and was it a. searching for an answer in these things or is it just an exploration like what's the satisfying part for
1: you? I think the satisfying part for me about writing short stories is being able to take something to a conclusion or uh, being able to reach something that feels like a resolution even if it's very open-ended um in a way that you can in a novel, because a novel is always, you know, a marathon. You know, when you watch people running a marathon, you only see a portion of it, and you know that the slog goes on longer, and you don't have this godlike or bird's-eye view of what's happening. Um, When I write short fiction, I can hold all of these elements in proximity for longer, and really feel like... um, even if this world collapses after 15 pages, I've um, I've pushed it all together and seen um, the entire thing sort of unfold before really me, like a play almost. Like sure. I think of it more as a play than. Um,
2: you have a, a concentrated play. amount of time. Yeah. And space, right? To yeah. Explore whatever it is you're
1: exploring. Short stories have this natural clock built onto them, whether it's eight pages or 30 pages. Um, it just feels when you're writing it like there's a lot more at stake in a way yeah
2: yeah. sorry go ahead
1: no in the the same way that um when you write a novel i think you have to let the novel get out of your control a little bit and sprawl a little bit just to give a sense that the world is you know bigger than the person creating it it. Um,
2: that's true i mean that sort of works against this thing that it seems like so interests you, which is that claustrophobic like smashing together of people's emotions. Yeah. <laughs> um, are novels more difficult, or short stories your way in?
1: I think everything is equally difficult. I don't know. Is it? <laughs> yeah. Difficult? Well, like um, every time you start to think of something as as easier, and and you go to it looking for a refuge, and it becomes complicated <laughs> and uncomfortable. I think, or maybe that's just my experience. No, I think there's yeah. something
2: to it. I mean, it's like it's like working out right <laughs> as soon as it becomes easy then you have to make it harder <laughs> and I think we mentally do that with writing anyway it's so yeah. part of it we want to tell ourselves
1: so absolutely and um, I, I often think of my short stories as challenges like that, like I'm locking myself into a room um, and seeing if I can escape. <laughs> That's it. Yeah, or rather, um, if I can not escape but end it somewhere within that room. Um, you know, we were just talking about how um, I wanted to see Parasite the night before, right? right? And um, not to give too much away, but there's this part where the main characters are trapped, all hiding under a coffee table as the um, uh, family comes to home, right? Um, actually, I should say that. Sorry. Um, you think the conflict is going to be... These family members are making a mess in this house when the family's supposed to be away, and the family's going to come back and discover them, and they'll set up a conflict. Um, but the director opens up this second space um, that is rooted in the sub-basement sub of this house. There's, like, other actors there. Um, And it corresponds to the rules and the logic of it, but it is not the logic you would have imagined. I think, like, um, There's a way to burrow deeper into the story rather than like opening a window out and letting the energy escape.
2: Yeah. Or Or opening a door and letting someone else in. (laughs) Right. It's going deeper, it's wider. Like
1: TV shows often start to lose their energy, I think, when you start letting more people in. People come in from the outside, and it's supposed to add, it adds this temporary sugar high (laughs) jolt of thought to our world that doesn't really take it. But it feels
2: like. At least, you know, the novel that's, that's out there we grid has that similar feel, right, of constantly growing deeper, deeper into the initial concept. Um, that seems impossible good. to maintain in such a claustrophobic story, a story that's so in someone's head and skin, right? Yeah, um, yeah. How do you, you maintain that, or how did you the, Like, yeah. what was finding your way? In the, you know?
1: Um. In the novel, you know, I think uh, what I began with was knowing that I wanted to take the story someplace stranger than I could imagine at the beginning. Every possibility that I brainstormed at the beginning, I knew was not good enough because it was something I had in my head at the start. So um, I thought about it as playing kind of like a video game. Like every time um, you come to an action point where you have to either take this door or um, use this tool on some other door um i would take the one that was weirder or harder or see if there's you know um a third possibility and just see where that got me but um it's sort of like you start with a single white female story setup of which there are many Um, kind of i (laughs) mean you
2: really bury that
1: but anytime you have um Two women who are defined as similar rather than opposite, then you're in a super white female story. And uh, to see if there's some way to um, work that story space without replicating it, mm-hmm. and I think um, for me it was okay. Let's try to occupy this fantasy of um, uh, of escape, escape from the language and system that your character is born into and find another place. is that other place going to be genuinely different or is it going to be sort of an inversion or a fun housier version of what you had before? I think um, the goal is always to break into some place totally new, but the things that are completely outside the system weirdly resemble the system because they're generated in opposition to it. Yeah.
2: It sounds like that is a way in. for like I've seen a single white like, female story.
1: Yeah.
2: Uh, what's a different take? What's my take? The thing only like
1: yeah. yeah. um,
2: having just completed another novel. Mm-hmm. Is that have you discovered that this is your process to ask yourself these questions, or is it a more you know philosophical question? What do I want to explore?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think I have sites that I return to again and mm-hmm. again. I don't know if Home Invasion is one thing, but maybe it is. <laughs> when they look at the story collection, I think it is. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah, um, The original Home Invasion story was like uh, the Odyssey, right? <laughs> um, I guess it was. When um, all the suitors come to occupy Odysseus' right. house, but also when he invades his house at the end and kills everybody, he kind of um, uh, inverts <laughs> that story three times or something. Um, uh, I like going back to sites that I feel drawn to, right? Um, so I'll see, uh, I'll see any single white female type movie, or sure. read any single white female type story. It's something that just, um, all the slight variations in the genre just are tasty to me. Um, mm-hmm. I want to devour them.
2: What is it about those stories that
1: moves something,
2: right? That gets yeah. you either engaged or thinking
1: about yeah. I mean, on the one hand, um, I'm really interested in identity. Like, who are you? Um, who are you when you're with this particular person versus another particular person? Who are you when you're with your parents versus when you're with the person you're in a relationship with? And who are you when you're 100% alone? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I, I think like, um, one of the best ways to feel totally like yourself is to push yourself against someone who you're not like, and then you go, well, thank God I'm not like that, or they're so wonderful, they're like this, and isn't it good that I'm this way to go together, um, but uh, when that other person starts resembling you, or, you know, I think some of the moments of discomfort in a romantic relationship are when... You've become so comfortable that you say a lot of the same things to one another. And, um, you can get almost territorial over the bland and mundane things that you say because somehow someone else saying them to you strikes you as boring or irritating or, um, so like, uh, when you push two people into a space where they begin resembling themselves, everything is up for grabs, I think. Um, and, It always interested me, um, in terms of thinking about character change, um, what if you think of a character not as someone who goes out and has a self-safety shaping journey, but as, um, someone who, uh, stays home and is infiltrated by the person near them. Yeah. Um, so... I think, it's, uh, I think it's that. I think that um, in some ways a single yeah. white female story is a home yeah. invasion story at the psychological level.
2: Well, it's a self-invasion
1: yeah. story. It's a self-invasion right? story, I mean, yeah.
2: And it does feel like the outcome of what you're describing the sort of knee-jerk outcome. Yeah. The reflex for a writer would be this is a story about loss of identity, about loss of self. Um, but your story don't feel that way. Uh, the invasion isn't always unwelcome, it seems like. It's, it's only explore. Or am I wrong? I mean, I may be missing uh, uh, yeah the rejection part.
1: No, I mean, um, I, I'd say, like, the attitude a lot of times is of this sort of passivity that isn't uh, important to me, like, um, yeah. uh, philosophically, too. Uh, things have to change. You have to allow people into your... House, or there are these societal rules that say you need to welcome and show hospitality. Um, So, how can you uh, adjust to that? How can you make that uh, space endurable for yourself? Um, So that, like in um, fairy tale, one of the stories from my collection. it's a character who's sitting at a table with her parents and this one strange guy she doesn't recognize. She's told that he's her fiancé. She tries to wrap her mind around that and then not start coming at the door. And it's more people who claim other types of relationships to her. Um, I'm interested in... This feeling that we're all born into a world that we didn't set up. We didn't make it for ourselves and we didn't choose any of its rules. We're trying to learn them even as we're trying to navigate them in this graceful and uh, socialized way. Uh, But when you turn the dials up and down on that and make them um, abnormal, you become really aware of what all of those different processes are. And um, why is it? Why is it absurd to have a person claiming they're your fiancé when it's not absurd to have another person claiming that you have this close relationship (laughs) that doesn't have that name, right? Um, Yeah, so I think of my fiction not really as a genre totally separate from the world we live in, but just as the world we live in with the dials turned to different places that make right. them feel sort of a genre. Me. I yeah. mean,
2: isn't that what we try to do? Is like slather metaphor on top yeah. <laughs> of truth,
1: right?
2: Yeah, but, yeah, absolutely. Um, was this a hard thing to come to? Was this the way that writing occurs naturally to you, the way of seeing the world comes yeah. naturally mm-hmm. to
1: you? Um, I think that I first began writing... Poetry and essays yeah um i was really not comfortable with the idea of making something happen because i'd look at the world (laughs) around me and go you know how does anything happen like how does a person change how do you picture that doesn't it seem uh false to do it before and after like yeah um but i always loved reading fiction you know Mm. and i loved watching movies so um how could i inhabit those sorts of mechanisms and feel like myself doing it. So, I think part of that was allowing some artifice into the stories. You know, like it—it it isn't a real world. Like if I had to visualize it, it would be the house in fairy tale would be, um, you know, clearly plywood walls, clearly like um, something that's going to fall apart in right. the stories. Um, yeah, but that. Uh, Almost like, you know, uh, Dog Bill. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, we can understand the outlines of the situation and then pay more attention to what's yes. rubbing up against one another in the situation.
2: Yeah, it makes sense. Yeah. Um, let's talk about nuts and bolts now. Yeah. Um, You've just turned in a novel. Yeah. What is your life like right <laughs> now? <laughs>
1: Um, right now, uh, I'm, I'm teaching, yeah. so I teach creative writing. Um, I'm working on the novel still, even though I don't have edits back yet. I'm going and marking things that I know I need to change, and um, and I have. I also do some nonfiction writing, so I'm doing a profile of Jeff Vandermeer. Um, so I'm trying to put my head. For a certain amount of time each week in, in his world, and read over the transcripts again and figure out what kind of story I'm going to tell. Mm-hmm. And it, it's strange. I don't know if nonfiction writers us- or journalists usually think this way, but as a fiction writer, I really feel like I have to go, you know, what kind of story am I going to tell about this person who actually exists that will <laughs> sure. will match up to reality and um, satisfy me and then, and, and won't be too much of myself or too much solely of them. Yeah. Absolutely.
2: Yeah. Um, That's funny. Do you yeah. find it difficult to shift gears in that one?
1: I find it really difficult to shift gears. Yeah. I'd say I must go to shifting gears than anyone you know. <laughs> really? Probably. Yeah, I have a ton of inertia. I'm like wily Coyote, <laughs> like hovering in the air, and he hasn't realized he's yeah. going far. Yeah,
2: so what does it look like, I mean, when you're working on a novel and yeah. also teaching and doing all this other stuff?
1: i mean um you try i try to be very jealously protective of my time when i'm not teaching i i prep on certain days i teach on certain days um it's clumped together in a week um i've started slicing up the tasks that go into writing fiction in a very fine-grained way so that um you know when you're completely organically writing and you're not time limited you have um this feeling of fluidity, like being immersed in a tank of water. And when you're treading water, you're doing tons of small movements at once with every part of your body, but it feels like one thing. Um, the analogy to that is like um, you're you're writing your hearing voice, you're choosing words, you're moving forward, you're making decisions about what the space looks like and what the characters say, and you're making decisions about who they are based on what they say, too. Um, so I try to slice up... I sometimes have to slice um, those decisions apart from... The actual writing of the scene and um, figure out, okay, today on my commute, I'm seeing if I can hear any of the dialogue in this conversation. Mm-hmm. That's what all I'll think about. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe I'll sort of allow myself two Twitter checks or whatever. <laughs> you
2: get your rewards. Yeah. But I think that's not, I don't know, it's not unusual. And I think the advice yeah. we often hear uh, from all kinds yeah. of writers yeah. about all kinds of writing is like usually it's advice for when you're stuck uh, to yes. take a walk right yeah, yeah and and that kind of movement or just separating yourself from the action of writing lets you hear the voices
1: <laughs> yeah yeah absolutely um w- when i was working on the first novel i was also less time limited and um one of the things i did the most was trying to uh distract myself right and then surprise myself by looking at the, the scene or moment sneaking
2: up on yourself i was yeah
1: i it, it must have looked so neurotic but i'd watch three minutes of a movie um and then suddenly i pause it and go okay now what's the next line um, that's hilarious and sometimes it works like just hammering on that <laughs>
2: Is it our bodies do not want to write? Is that what it is?
1: <laughs> our bodies don't want to write, especially yeah. once they've learned what feelings we associate with it. <laughs> sure.
2: It does make sense. I mean, yeah. that's why, I don't know. Isn't is it, isn't it an enjoyable process for me? It,
1: it is. I mean, it, but yeah. it isn't entirely enjoyable. And I think that's part of it too. Like, mm-hmm. um, on this second novel around, I find myself more able to enjoy the negative feelings. Um, Just like hello, darkness, my old friend. Like uh, hello, frustration.
2: What are the hard parts? Um,
1: I mean, the hard parts are moving on, even when you feel something is unfinished. I think, like, I, have a lot of trouble doing that, and um, it makes me feel bad about myself. Um, also, um, it's been. Uncomfortable to see myself working in a way that seems so diametrically opposed to how I worked in the first one. Um, you know, uh, for the first one, you know, like I described, taking the weirdest turn in every turn and not knowing where I was going to end up. And for this book, I was surprised to see myself just making an outline where every chapter was divided up into um, three nine-page segments and and action was very tightly confined to those segments um but i also i really enjoyed it too funny. yeah it was fun to think of um Think of the space in terms of gestures. Like one gesture will take you, one action or event will take you through nine pages. Another will take you through nine pages, and the three sum together make a particular feel for how the story is pacing forward. Um, but again, it seems artificial. You always question yourself: like, is this is this just the scaffolding I need to get where I'm going, or does this sort of have a meaning? Is there um, something emotional about it that will work ultimately, or will I have to tear it out at the end? Well, that's what I was
2: wondering, like, is there something intrinsic to this story that lends itself to that kind of structure that kind of process?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think um, it. one thing it has to do with my primitive understanding of plot, (laughs) so that um, when I I think about, uh, you know, what's a plot like? I'm like, well, okay, a plot's something that's always moving forward by increments, so you've got to get those increments fixed in there, baked into it. Um, uh, But another is... um, You know, writing the second novel in the midst of all this political urgency, right? And the feeling that, um, you're almost writing against the news cycle for you yourself. Like, on a given day, you might get a few hours of writing and then you might read something that really throws you off and makes you, um, you know, need to go take a walk where you're not thinking about your work or something, utterly, uh, defuse that tension. Um, and, and so, I think urgency and this almost um, uh, domineering outside clock is something that that structure reflects, and that is it's true a, both to the book and to how I'm living as I'm sure. you writing know? <laughs> it.
2: and it's funny. I mean, you're you're putting it in your work, and as far as I know, in sort of a structural way, right? Yeah. It's, it's not in a story. Yeah. I don't know, or character way. But we hear I, I feel like I have a lot of conversations with writers these days about just getting through the day. Like it's yeah. what we do with Sony can be so emotionally taxing. Yeah. Um and these days just getting through the day is so emotionally taxing. <laughs> are you able to give yourself a break? Like how are you pushing through? Is it finding these tricks for yourself that, yeah. you know push you push you into the storm? I,
1: I think like um Part of it is letting some of that tension seep in. Mm -hmm. So, um, uh, you know, the bad affects in my first novel uh, were mostly generated by identity and interiority and internal feelings. And and here, like, a lot of the bad effects come from the outside pushing in on the characters um so taking you know whatever it is that i'm feeling in my day and just translating it through um helps make use of that momentum i think um uh, a lot of it i wrote over the summer at residencies where i could really hike so um being able to hike to the point of um not exhaustion, but like calmness, like mm-hmm. the sort of physical calmness was really helpful, I think. Um, to just being able to hear in a focused way. There's a lot
2: of clarity in that control. Working it all out of your body.
1: Yeah, yeah. And um, being in an environment that's too people in it, things like that. Um, but, you know, I. Um, i think the biggest challenge right now when uh telling stories is um figuring out whether you're going to tell a story that takes place and what you have to deal with every every day so um are you going to spend your story time staring at what you stare at outside of the story time or are you going to um try to inhabit another space and how are you going to um do that work of detaching when it seems more urgent than ever to attach to regular right. life right yeah, yeah. yeah
2: so so what have you what's the <laughs> answer? I mean it seems like over the years you've done oh.
1: yeah um I uh weirdly have turned to as a palate cleanser in my reading I've turned to reading history which is not something I ever was particularly interested in but um Reading uh, historical documents, reading about um, expeditions for something for some reason is something I'm really interested in. Um, I really love that TV show, The Terror, the first season of it. Right? Right? Yeah. Um,
2: Oh, that's so. Yeah. (laughs) A bunch of guys trapped on a boat.
1: (laughs) Yeah, and um, sort of. Survival, which I think is the original plot line, but which is like a heavily obscured plotline line and, and more so that's these days. Um, so to focus on another time or completely other space rather than era, even though what I'm writing is sort of um, realism adjacent, it's um, sudden, near future Los Angeles. Yeah what's your take on los angeles <laughs> well i lived there when i was a kid um okay. i lived in the san gabriel valley uh it was um a housing development right they backed up onto hills where coyotes would come down to eat people's little dogs all the time so always a feeling of um you know <laughs> um there's a uh, the landscape grounds, and then there's this real nature, and the mm. real nature will eat you. Yeah. <laughs> um,
2: it's dangerous. Yeah, but Perhaps I like that. Park. I mean,
1: I, I think that's yeah. what makes Los Angeles so interesting like the sprawl and the way it can c- kind of contain its opposite within that sprawl and the way that New York can't. Like, New York, um, you yeah, know, there's foxes, I think, in Central Park or something, right. but um, the city surrounds it. And in LA, even though LA is so big, um, the outside surrounds LA and infiltrates it too. So um, I think that's really exciting. <laughs> yeah, and um, yeah, I'm from Colorado. I grew up there mostly, and if I could move west, I definitely would. All all the ways that you can see um, just pressure placed on the situation starts to change the situation, like the situation cooks <laughs> or something. <laughs>
2: And that's that's good drama, right? Yeah, it is. It's good plot, it's good characters. it's good story. Um, It's a fascinating environment, whether it's a big way like that or whether it's a small way, you know, like like this movie.
1: Yeah. You know, um, for some reason, This makes me think of, like, my favorite metaphor for a short story, which is, like, a short story is a lid that you put on the story, right? And it keeps it contained, and it cooks it faster, and it brings it to a boil. And a novel, like, I didn't know what that metaphor would be, but, um... It's a slow simmer. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) There's something I like about um, having limited pages, Mm -hmm. or having limited characters, or having limited space, um... Because then you have to figure out what you can do with that and how you can evolve it, even if yeah. you benefit of, you know, um, being able to bring in whatever you want to come and help you out. Or, Absolutely. Uh, color, yeah.
2: When I mean, you said you started writing poetry, mm-hmm. um, were short stories the, the next step for you, or did you jump into it?
1: Um, short stories were the next step, yeah. Um, I really loved, uh, in those days, uh, Robert Fever. Mm-hmm. Um even some poets like Jenna Osmond or uh, hybrid writers like Talia Field, all of these people um, sort of thought about characters sometimes as things that are made completely out of language. <laughs> um, and, you know, what, what then is a character like that like? You know what is a character that's aware of their own artificiality like, you know? <laughs> yes. um, And that was an entrance point for me because I think rather than feeling like, okay, I have to replicate either someone I really know and sacrifice them or <laughs> I have to um, figure out what a person is and then imagine that whole plot that makes someone that walks oh, around just like a person. That's the hard way. That's the hard No one
2: sees themselves. I so. always
1: think there's something interesting about, you know, some people over-recognize themselves yeah. in in for sure. uh, the fiction people they yeah. know. Some people under-recognize themselves. <laughs> like, oh, that person oh, person's such an asshole. You know? <laughs> um, but when I was writing um, nonfiction, I always remember uh, the first piece I wrote was about um, going to a festival for fruitarians. Mm-hmm. So people on an all raw fruit right. vegan diet. Um, and there was this one person I really wanted to put in there because he was such a character he was kind of a huge jerk um, hitting on everyone always wearing um, a muscle tee so you could see his gigantic arms and um, I was like, you know what I just have to put his arms in there uh, he's a man in with a small head and action figure arms and I was like, I pray he never reads this because I didn't know how I'd handle Fair, angry male fair. Um,
2: That's fair.
1: but then he read it and he was like hey, thanks for the comment about the action figure arms and I was like, okay if someone likes themselves and you describe them accurately, yeah. they will like that.
2: That's <laughs> true. <laughs> well, sure, it's about accuracy. But yeah. you've also done the hard way. You've built characters, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, what does that process feel like for you? Yeah. Whether it's in short story or in a longer piece. Yeah.
1: You know, um, the main character in my new novel is... a I, apparently, he's a dislikable man. I didn't think he was that dislikable. Funny. Um, it's
2: funny to realize that when yeah. other people
1: uh,
2: read it, right? Yeah.
1: And um, and then I think, well, I built him off myself, you know? Of course. <laughs> I peeled off this layer, and then I, I added some other things. And, you know, um, actually some memories I have of my family are present in his life in the in, in a more unaltered unadulterated wow. state than any other <laughs> and I don't think anyone's going to think it has a connection to me just because yeah, yeah um, of of all the shifts you can do like I think a gender shift really throws people off the sun for sure yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah. So you, you know
2: you start to build these people out of pieces of yourself uh, right? pieces and they of do tend to take on lives of those yeah um, but there's that figuring out part, yeah, which to me is just the hardest part of writing. And it's usually the beginning part of, yeah. like, who is this person I'm spending all this time with, right?
1: <laughs> yeah. I mean, um, at the beginning, a very s- strongly um, intentional creative process, like going to... F- think things, sort through things that might be part of the character um, to push on past the first thing we come up with and toward a better route for the character. Mm. Um, all of that I think lays a foundation for when I do it and then, um, then you have things that start arriving to you like well I know these things about the character this is also part of them I think, this is also right. and it can start sort of thinking itself or growing in a way that feels like it's not fully intentional and I enjoy that part Absolutely, yeah, that's yeah. the
2: best part <laughs> when you're transcribing Yeah, yeah um, what do you talk about with your creative writing classes? Because
1: um, this is a—I yeah.
2: don't know—it's this podcast seems silly oftentimes no. to me because, like, there. This is a craft you can learn. Yeah. Uh Specific, I mean, especially in screenwriting. Mm-hmm. There's so much craftsmanship involved for that because it's so structure-oriented. Mm-hmm. Um, but even in prose writing, there's craft to it. But there's also art to it, and yes. that's that's the hard part yeah right? that's the part that both makes us miserable and elated <laughs>
1: yes yeah um so how do
2: you start to frame a creative writing um you
1: know it, it's tricky <laughs> it's yeah. tricky um in workshops um a lot of what i talk about at first tends to be about building community among people and how we should all um think of a piece, like, trying to read a piece empathetically and um, assess it in terms of the author's intentions before you critique the author's intentions, I think, because that's how we learn, um, you know, the writing equivalent of hand-eye coordination, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, of, in, of intention-to-text coordination. Yeah? Um, and then, I think, um, once a piece is sort of there and the in- intention is is on the page, um, I think the most valuable thing you can do as an instructor is uh, try to push it beyond that intention, right? And, and that's where um, the best things that you can get from a, a creative writing workshop are the things you don't want to hear or didn't expect to hear. But so um, uh, people suggesting that other things can happen, people refocusing what this story is all about or what they think it's about or, you know, um, what it would be better if it's about. Or what it could be if, for example, you started where the story ends and picked up from there. What segment of the character's life would you see if you did that? How much more exciting could it be for you as a writer if you found out what you don't know instead of what you already know when you go and to write it? Yeah, Um, yeah, because there's something really special, I think, about being in an environment where you suck that you are unmade or not fully made and that you're going to intake everything and challenge everything um, and you don't have that as much when you leave and it's harder to have that when you're on your own too I think um, uh, my <laughs> intention you know as a writer as a writing instructor is always to keep people from stopping at what they want to do with it mm-hmm. and to push them Into not being unsure, I think, of what they want to do, but into thinking of the other things they could do instead, which can also reconfirm your desire to do. Well, yeah, so much is an
2: act of discovery. Yeah, yeah, that's often the fun part. Yeah, Um,
1: one of my favorite things to have a class do is to um, exchange stories Mm -hmm. and to pick out one sentence from the story that they think is the best or strongest or otherwise ever and it, in that sense, which is always almost always a more grammatically built and thoughtfully built sentence you can tell a lot about the relationship between the characters the relationship of the character to narration and then to use that as a seed you just dis- discuss what the strength of the piece might be yeah um it's hard sometimes to keep the granular level and focus and keep to right. health and the large scale of the piece in focus at the same time yeah. so well it is yeah. i mean like you
2: said we're trying to do like so many different things yeah. which you develop the muscle to do that yeah. right? it's, it's the treading water we're not really aware of language and character you want it, and you know tone and all yeah. these things as we go but like, when you're starting out you really need to be, like, um this stuff that you take your class through are you able to do it yourself? Do you have readers? Do you listen to that kind of feedback? You're married yeah, to a writer. Yeah. Do you listen to his opinion?
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I do. I mean, um, we're pretty different as writers, but we like a lot of the same things. We have this core of stuff we both enjoy very strongly. Okay. So um, it's also been funny on this novel, which I've written entirely in the time when I was with him. Um, I never used to show work to People, unless it was pretty done, um, or unless I had a full draft or whatever it might be, and with this, every time I finished a chapter, I sent it up to him, oh, almost wow. like it was a Dickens novel, yeah, putting it on yeah. the boat. Right? Um, That's really
2: yeah. That changes the process. That's really interesting.
1: It, it changes it. I mean, I've had the ability to be more alone with this book because I didn't show any part of it to a workshop and. Um, I, I didn't have to show it to anyone so it felt like a good voluntary act to open up uh-huh. to whatever <laughs> um but uh i also think that he knew sort of what i needed from a reader which was you know some criticism but mostly having it be acknowledged that i was doing something <laughs> right. not just you know um disappearing yeah. and uh Mm-hmm. Tapping mm-hmm. keys mm-hmm. on a keyboard, like all working, no play makes jack at <laughs> exactly. the boy over and over again. Exactly. No, yeah.
2: sometimes you want to hear you did something that exists. <laughs> yes. Yeah.
1: <laughs> that sure is a chapter. <laughs> exactly.
2: Fine, I'll take it. Yeah. After you know a week of work, I'll take it. Yeah.
1: Um,
2: let me. I want to get back to some of that nuts and bolts stuff that you talked about. So, and I love the idea that you're handling in chapters. Yeah. Um What was your timeline on this? If, like, what is your writing day? When you do have, when you are in the midst of a novel or even a, a bunch of stories, whatever it is, yeah. how much time do you Are you able to set aside? Yeah. Um, it seems you can have it compartmentalized in a, in a good way, but when you sit down to do the work, 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 work right. yeah, Um yeah. Um, uh,
1: so, if I have things my way, mm-hmm. I, I really like full day periods of time or multiple full day periods of time. I usually, if I have a multiple full day period of time, I'll spend the first day doing something disruptive to my routine or in ens- enstranging of it in some way. Um, and then I think of it as sort of anchoring myself in the act of sitting in front of my computer writing. Basically, I think all my day... It is to be spent doing that and occasionally I'll eat but it always feels <laughs> like a release or um, yeah. I'll do something else but to feel that I always have to be in that spot and that that spot is the normal spot to be in the appropriate place to be um, I stay up really late right? Uh, mostly from midnight on um, part of it is because we live in an open plan loft <laughs> so I can, we can know what the other person is doing all the time oh um, there's always like a miniature version of him in the head doing whatever <laughs> it is he's doing at that moment yep. um, but at night you know you, you get no emails you get yes. full benefit I think of the alertness the rest of the world is not using yep. <laughs> you can use that um, and things also start to loosen up at night if you spend all day thinking about uh, the chapter you're writing um, you can get usefully bored of some of the things you've already decided on, then at night Mm -hmm. it becomes possible to change those things. I I think like um, boredom and uh, repetition Mm -hmm. drive creativity in an interesting way because if you can make yourself bored with something that you thought was in- integral and instrumental, um, then you can suddenly start thinking of things that you could change about it. Yeah. That's really interesting. Yeah. Rather than picking in the positive of just, what else could this be? Right. You have to change your affect to it to be able to let go of it. Yes. Yeah. Does that
2: send you down wrong avenue? And uh, how do you know? <laughs>
1: yeah. I don't know how i know. I still don't know. Um, but, uh... I think every project is different. What you need to be certain of in a project um, to get it done is different from project to project. The amount that you know is different from project to project. The amount of play that can be had within the story is different from project to project. Sometimes like every single thing that happens is up for grabs, and other times um, it really helps to navigate according to a story that you feel pretty confident in and to like be loyal to that story, right? Sure. Um, I usually begin a novel structure with a visual sort of image or it's always a a spatial image or metaphor Um, with the first book I had a teacher once who told me there are only two types of stories Um, someone leaves home or a stranger comes to town Um, and so my metaphor was a sphere and like someone walking around that sphere and changing so that the person who leaves home returns different. It's a stranger. Um, With this one, um, I've always liked, with this novel, I've always liked books that seem to contain almost two books in them. Um, Philip K. Dick is one of my favorite writers in the way that they'll sort of break the premises of the beginning of this novel um, uh, in a way that could collapse the whole book, you know, interests me. And I was thinking of it as the first part is a Hollywood novel, and the second part is an apocalyptic novel or uh, a disaster novel or ecological crisis novel in some way. Um, And the two are like tectonic plates, sort of meeting in the middle and one sort of becoming subducted and melting down. Um, Having something um, that isn't grounded in terminology like these genre terms mm-hmm. having um, an image that moves a bit mm-hmm. guides me I think better than um, uh, the stuff I might use to explain to someone that it's sure. yeah.
2: Absolutely. Yeah. Right. that's where, that's where the art comes from okay. story. <laughs> um, but I guess the question is <clears throat> the question that it suggests to me is why is the story not the part where the plates hit right? <laughs> that's a short story
1: you know, right, right. Uh, yeah. Why
2: is this story? I want to talk about all the lead up on this side and all the lead up on this yeah. side, and then we get to that.
1: Yeah. Um, so why is it a novel and not a yeah. short story? You know, um, part of it I think is about the effect you wanted to have in the world. In a short story, one thing I like about a short story is um,
0: all the elements
1: exist together in the space that's um, both more mundane and more unusual than the novel overall. They're concentrated, they're brought into um, sort of direct interaction. Um, In a novel, like where I think the political power of a novel comes from is in the way that it gazes back or reflects back on reality and on your own feelings about reality and your feelings about um, uh, the life you lead. So that... Having more space in a novel and having spaces and pressurized like in a short story lets you um, attach to it, like, okay, this is the story that I'm in right now, mm-hmm. and when it's taken away from me, that feels like something. Whereas if it, it were just that um, melting point where the two plates meet um, tectonically, uh, you'd see a lot happening, but you wouldn't feel sense of loss. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Um.
1: But you know, yeah. you have to think of these things in some way that's useful to you when you're writing. Ultimately, like can a short story have a more powerful relationship to reality than the novel? Like I'm sure there's an argument to be made for that. Um, but you know what it is for yeah. you.
2: I mean, we face this all the time. It's like, yeah. What? Because we work in various media. We throw around an idea for a story and say like, well, "What is that? That doesn't feel like that. Feels like a comic. Yeah. That feels like you know, a TV pilot or whatever it is. Yeah. It doesn't have the legs to be a TV does <laughs> it have the legs to be forty pages, whatever it is. Yeah. Uh, they sort of tell you what
1: they are. I, I know. I Actually, I've been wondering. Um, you know whether novels have a more have more of an affinity with movies or with TV series or um whether short stories have more of an affinity with movies or TV series yeah. like um uh when you start thinking about all the interesting things that we've seen since episodic TV has gotten more yeah. uh more exciting, like you can get more <laughs> novelistic more literary or more you know just more yeah. <laughs> um uh it makes you wonder whether the bounds of the novel are sort of confining it to old tropes, and whether it can really evolve the same way that TV is evolving. Yeah. So
2: where? What ideas are you circling about? This? Um,
1: for example, like um, a novel like in a movie, implies this arc of character development that like arrives at a satisfying point and, and culminates and ends there. And I think that um, uh, when you view characters through the lens of these TV shows, you see more interesting moves of character development, more interesting um, non-arcs where a character sort of makes it character-changing decisions and doesn't change as a result of it and is sucked back in and right. out of old patterns. Is this truer? Is this useful? Is it less satisfying? I'm not sure. I think, like, these, um, these series are probing ways in which that can be made satisfying, all right, um, that offering a sense of closure. And I like that. Um,
2: but it's funny, I think, yeah. are we always going to be at a remove... <laughs> Yeah. Right, with TV or film, mm-hmm. uh, like action shows character,
1: yes, things, right? Yeah.
2: Um, whereas people feel like they live in a novel,
1: <laughs> we don't really
2: live in TV, we get to experience by watching, yeah, you know, and I think that that thing that a novel gives us can't be translated. Right, I mean, TV comes close, <laughs> but it's still action as character,
1: it's true. I mean, um the ways in which a novel is under produced or something the the blanks you know, the things that you can infer or imagine if you can't fill in that no one has to literally um put in front of a camera in order for it to exist are pretty amazing yeah <laughs> um i don't know if you saw this thing going around on twitter recently but um Twitter was suddenly having this discussion about whether the novel is a bourgeois form and thereby um, regressive just in and of itself. No. <laughs> but it's interesting to think about um, the short story as, you know, could it be revolutionary in this way? Like, in it's actual lived economic context is a short story a more agile form because you don't have to give up, you know, um, years of earning time to write one. Um, what can you put in there um, that you can't afford to put in a novel? Um, I feel like the novel as a politically useful form has, has been theorized a lot, but the short story, like, um, is still read by, I think, a small group of people who's under-theorized. So. Yeah, it's really.
2: Listen, it's worth another hour. Um, I'm going to give you a couple of, of easy questions before okay. we wrap up. Okay. Uh, you talked about Tolkien and a couple of other formative uh, reading experiences. What was what was your stuff? What was the stuff that you feel like went in you that makes you? <laughs> um. Uh.
1: Kurt Vonnegut. Mm-hmm. I love Kurt Vonnegut. Von At what age Vonnegut.
2: did you find Vonnegut?
1: I found Good in high school. You know, I lived in a town where there were a lot of very good used bookstores and not very many super cool, cutting edge bookstores. <laughs> and um, Vanga was one of the funnest things that you could find in there. Like every one of these used bookstores would have Anatoly, France, and all of these things—things <laughs> um, <laughs> things you should have in your library—but um, which don't necessarily feel like they connect you to the world around. No, I can. Um, but. Uh, him, um, Joy Williams. Finding Joy Williams really opened up writing about the domestic sphere to me because she makes it so vicious and visceral and sick and weird and funny. Um, I love her. Uh, Lydia Davis. Like if I had the patience to work at the sentence and phrase level like Lydia Davis, I think it would be better for everyone. <laughs> Um, but she's the one with the patients, I think. Um, and then a lot of, uh, poets still, like, um, I love Mamie Burson-Bruby. Um, I used to be, uh, a cognitive science major. I almost went to a PhD in that and a biologist and I love scientific language. Um, and I love the sort of, analytical distance, alienated view that it has, which I think still allows for a lot of sympathy, because when um, when the narrator isn't giving you that empathy, you have to supply it as a reader yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Which is why I like Beckett, too. Yeah. And then Beckett's one of those. I, of <laughs>
2: um, I mean, you're, the way you use language is a whole conversation with everyone, so like clear it feels like you're having fun to be honest like you're turning words over and, and seeing how they fit together yeah like it, it feels like an active process
1: thanks I mean do you ever laugh when you're writing I don't know if the humor needs to be there in my work but I need it to get through the writing process and um it's part of the fun that I have and the feeling that I can Play and not just carry out a program, right?
2: Yeah, yeah. it's like, great. Nappy. yeah.
1: There's a sense of
2: yeah. Yeah. Um, And then, you know, we wrap up, as we always do, by asking you what you are watching on television, what are you reading, what movies have you seen, that you want to talk about. What's getting you excited or inspired?
1: Um, again, that uh, Parasite. Yeah, I got <laughs> into it. How, yeah, it's so good. Um, we just okay. watched The Terror, um, and I'm reading... Uh, a lot of short novellas, um, because I'm thinking about, um, you know, can you make a novel out of novellas that's sort of like an island chain? So uh, that's something for the future. But I'm reading a really great one by Flora Shaggy, um Swiss writer, and it's all set in a girls' boarding school, and um, that's a sort of claustrophobic environment full of inter-female tensions that I, I love. That's great. What's the name yeah. of the novel? It's called Days of Sweet Discipline. Okay. Yeah. Um,
2: how do you read? Do you read books? Do you read on Kindle? What do you read?
1: I read books. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, sometimes I'll uh, take something on Kindle, but it makes me read too fast. Okay. Oh, um, that's absolutely surreal. So it's nice to be able to read fast sometimes, like feel powerful, <laughs> like a Ferrari. But. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, there's something about
2: sitting with it, right? Yeah. And
1: having
2: to earn it a little bit, living in the book. Yeah. I never
1: thought about that. And I, I just think like the feeling of holding the whole storybook in your hands and being able to feel how far you've come in it um, and the sense of where spatially things happened in your hands, I think that's appealing. Like um, There's a tactile element to it that I really, really like and that I think I would miss. Yeah. yeah.
2: Um, do you have a timeline for this new book?
1: Um, because of the election. I think it'll come out after the election. <laughs> All
2: right. So we're almost a year away. Yeah. Uh, about a year away. Uh, the folks look forward. Thanks for Thank
1: chatting. you so it much. Great. It's so yeah. fun to talk to you. Yeah. Forever. Dog.